be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We'll be in verses 4 through 13 this morning. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you uh, a little bit of the purpose of this section of John, really verses 1 through 18. Um, this, this section of John serves as a prologue to the whole gospel. Now, you may be thinking, what is a prologue? Well, a prologue helps to establish context. Oftentimes, it'll connect to other parts of a story so that you, you can see, we can see, that John's gospel is, is not um, off by itself. It's part of a greater story, and it's trying to communicate something very specifically. And what we saw just in verses 1 through 3 is that one of the key things that John is seeking to communicate is the divinity of Christ, that Jesus is, in fact, God. And if you remember, one of the key terms in your Bibles, it probably says word, um, and, and I oftentimes try to flex the Greek around here, uh, but the word logos has a lot more meaning than just speech or just verbiage. It actually is the whole of the personality of God. It's actually the attributes of God made tangible in the world. And so Jesus is God incarnate or Emmanuel, God with us. And remember, the whole point of the story is that God wants to dwell with his people. The creator of the universe wants to be with those whom he has redeemed as sons and daughters. It's a genuine to desire to be with family, which is something that means a lot to us, even among just earthly family. That means an awful lot to be welcome in a place and to be desired to be there. You know, some of you know, the tension of not being welcome and not being wanted, uh, as I have in, in some cases. Um, and that was before I had the charming personality that I now have. And so, um, and so um, that, you shouldn't laugh so hard, Kelly. That was not nice. Um, anyway, so uh, <laughs> what we have is something that we can understand, right? It is, it, it's writ large in, in the whole of who we are. And, and God has designed us for a specific purpose, and Christ is about helping us to live out and, and bear that image in such a way that brings us joy and peace. And that's the beautiful thing about Advent and so many of the Christmas hymns that we sing. And I hope you notice that, how rich they are in declaring what this is. Um, I think sometimes we've heard the song so many times, we forget how rich and deep the words, which is why we want to take opportunity so often to use them. And that's why they're also, uh, one of them is in your um, book, uh, the devotional book for you to focus on and, 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 and meditate on. So as we turn to this text, keeping that in mind, that John is kind of telling us the story. He's giving us context Pay attention because what he's doing is he's, he's declaring creation, fall, and redemption. And so he's already declared Christ has come as the exact person of God in creation. And now he's going to show us uh, the, the rest of that story. Picking it up in verse 4, I'll read through verse 8. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, before we get into unpacking that passage, let me just ask you a quick question. Um, what, what is truly life-giving to you? What is it that truly brings you joy and gives you life, that gets you excited? And here's how you know. You share it with everybody around you. 
right? Oftentimes, we, we share the things that are most life-giving to us because we want other people to share in this. Like, for instance, when the latest pumpkin spice anything comes out, many of you get very excited, like I do, and want to share that with people. There are, if you didn't know, pumpkin spice cream puffs, and I think they're just a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth. I think they're going to be there. I don't know how the refrigeration system is going to work, but I'm, I'm not worried about that. It's taken care of. But when we, when we have things that we really enjoy, that, that bring us joy, that bring us peace, that bring us life, we want oftentimes to share those things with others. Many of you yesterday, uh, and there's not many of you in here that fall in this category as University of Georgia fans, there's something you want to share. You're so excited. You, the, the future is so bright now that you can hardly stare into it. You need shades. Um, and so there's, there's, just a, there's things that are exciting. And so we do that with lots of things that, that they're not going to last long, right? For those of you who are like super excited about the hazelnut phase of our country, we've kind of moved on. For those of you who are like super excited about the sriracha phase of our country, we've kind of moved on from that a little bit too. Chipotle phase, not the place where you can get sick if you eat the burritos, but, but the <laughs> spice. We've kind of moved on from that too. Um, and so we, 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 these things don't last, right? And let's be honest, um, outside of the Patriots and the Crimson Tide, there's just not many dynasties out there. And so uh, some things just don't last very long. And so wouldn't it make more sense for us to share things of longer lasting value? And, and maybe the reason that we don't oftentimes share uh, the gospel story is because it maybe isn't changing much of our lives. Because Maybe we thought that it would just kind of be plug and play, that if just, man, you thought just becoming a Christian was going to fix everything. How many of you have found that's true? It's, you became a Christian, and everything got easier, and it's just been straight, easy runway from here. You would be lying if you raised your hand, probably, or you'd be raptured. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it hasn't. And so sometimes we, we mistakenly think that, that Christianity somehow should fix everything, and, and it doesn't. In fact, it can create more problems because it exposes deeper some of the sin and the plank in our own eye, and it exposes deeper how dark we really are. And sometimes it exposes just how far off we can be at times and how, how just distorted things are. And so, so you have to be careful that you don't place false expectations upon it and that you realize that when you become a Christian, you're being invited into the work of becoming. Right? You do not earn your salvation. But what you do is uncover through the sanctification process more and more and more of what that salvation means. Because it's eternal. So sometimes I think that we think we ought not put much work into this and it ought to be easy. And that would be the opposite of what Scripture actually teaches us and be the opposite of what Christ came to give to us. So my hope is that as we continue to cultivate um, our faith, as we continue to cultivate discipleship as a church, that what we would find is greater joy and peace that is worth sharing with others. I had, And there's oftentimes I'm so humbled by the sacred ground that I get uh, invited into. Um, I was at a Christmas party yesterday, and there was a church before I came here that I served as the interim called Four Corners in Noonan. And uh, there was a, a gentleman who was a part of that church who was married at the time uh, and who has gone through a really, really, really awful stretch. And, and it 
was by his, admittedly by his own hand. And last year at the Christmas party, he was kind of in the eye of the storm. And, um, and, and the way I would describe him, and some of you will get this, but he was like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Like he was just so uncomfortable and anxious, and it was, it was miserable for him last year. This year, a year later, and people have been investing in this young man and doing everything they can to build him up. It was an abject joy to see the light in his eyes and the ease in his spirit, and he just wanted to share that. And I had a great conversation with him, and it was just beautiful to see what the Lord can do over time. And now, here's the thing. This young man, from what I understand, knowing him and knowing the people around him, he's done the work. Like, he's put the work in, and it has been incredibly Hard. I mean, it would take kind of Herculean effort um, not to be saved, but to have the joy of his salvation restored to him when he gave it up so easily and painfully. But what a joy that he was able to do that. And so those are the kind of things. We, we want to be able to share those things. You, we, we should be sharing that which brings life to us. And as Christians, we have lots to share. But do we? And that's what we see here is that there is a story we're sharing, and it's being shared. And uh, we ought to be doing the same. Let's look at the text as it unfolds. It moves out of creation into talking, and it's still more creation language. In fact, it follows a very, very similar pattern to Genesis 1. And it says, in him was life, and life was the light of men. Now, just real quick, uh, what that means is that Jesus being the creator, he is the source of all life. He is, the, he is the fount of all living things, which is why it makes sense that he is the source of the resurrection. And that we would, we would look to him for newness of life, that we would look to him for life more abundant because he alone is the source. And in this case, the term light being used here in this instance more than likely is focusing upon revelation, that this life, that he's revealing the glory of God in the world, which is his purpose and, it was, and it's our purpose as well. It's what we were originally intended and created to do, which is display the glory of God in the world. And that's what he does. He is, he is both the life and the source, the light that reveals the fullness of who God is to us and what a gift that he does that. And, he's, and, and this, this next passage is so beautiful. It says, the light shines in the darkness. Now, that's, that's still kind of creation language. That, that means that it, it, if it, in the creation sense, it creates order where there is none. It, it creates possibility where there is none. It creates redemption where there is none. And then it goes on and speaks more to the fall itself. And it says, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the way that the verb plays out here is that this is a finished work. This is, this is not yin-yang. This is not Star Wars. This is not Harry Potter. This is not any of the lesser narratives. Good narratives, but lesser and fall way, way short of the true tall tale of the coming Christ. Um, In this sense, the darkness has been overcome. Now, why is that important to us? And you may be thinking, well, if he's overcome it, I'm having a hard time seeing it. Well, remember, the author of Hebrews in chapter 2 actually says that. He says, Christ reigns, though it doesn't look like it right now. There are times when we can't see it for various reasons, either because of our own sin or because we're having our faith tested or we're in a period of sanctification. There's all kind of reasons for why we can't see it. But if you've ever gotten a glimmer of it, that is where all of your hope must lie because he has truly overcome the darkness. You cannot be overcome. Now, 
why, again, how do we apply this? Parents. Parents, this is such good news to you as you see your children discovering the truth of who they are at times, how broken they are. Their sin comes raging into view, either through pride, which oftentimes I think we like better than the other messier stuff, but it's far more dangerous because it's actually the antithesis to faith. Or it comes raging through in any number of ways um, that they are coming apart at the very seams that they were made with. And so, um, and so we see this. So parents, take heart. Christ has overcome the darkness. You can be patient with your children. You can be patient with the process. As I say to so many parents, remember, remember that you are not trying to raise a good 8-year-old. You're not trying to raise a good 12-year-old. You're not trying to raise a good 15-year-old. What you're doing is trying to raise sons and daughters of the God Most High. And that is a much longer arc than sometimes just trying to get them to behave for today. And in doing that, what you end up doing is creating, which is a common term uh, among many of the books that are being written right now, but moral therapeutic deism. You just, they just become deists. They're well-behaved, but lost, or poorly behaved and lost uh, as they rage against your moral therapeutic deism. And so, uh, so it's very important that you remember. Now, does that mean that you don't do anything? No, 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 not at all. That means that you pray in faith, with a firm faith that the darkness has been overcome, that you are able to sleep at night knowing that Christ has come, that Christ has defeated the fall, that there is the potential for salvation. All who will believe. Amen? Let me try that one more time. You guys can do so much better and not much worse. Amen? Amen for that. And so, so this is telling us such great news that the darkness will not have the final say. I've stood in some places and I've turned to my wife oftentimes and go, I, I don't know. Uh, that may disturb you as the guy up front with the book, um, but it's the truth. There's just times I don't know what more to say. I don't know what more to do, and I feel abjectly helpless, but by the grace of God and the personal work of Christ through faith alone. So this is such great news to us. So the fall did not have the final say, which means the story continues. Remember what we said last week. This is not plan B. The story was not derailed by the fall. The story was not in any way, shape, or form derailed by the fall. God will accomplish his purpose, which is to dwell with his people in full glory and glorification with Christ reigning. And so it goes on to say there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is really important because they're making very clear that this, is just, this, this person is a man. He is not on the same order as Christ. He's not the same as Jesus. However, he's going to testify of the light itself. This man is coming because he has been chosen by God for this purpose, that God elected him to be his prophet, to, to say what it was that he wanted him to say, to prepare the way for God coming. So this is John the Baptist that's being referred to here. And so he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And so that all there is not a universalistic all, meaning that everybody's going to believe. But what it is, is it means that there is, in, in Abrahamic covenant terms, there is no one, no one who is left out because of where they were born, 
um, uh, what book they had or didn't have. Uh, they're, they're not left out because of their skin color, because of their sex, because of their struggles with sexuality, because of their struggles with addiction, because of any of those things, they're not automatically left out. And so John comes delivering that message to any who will hear, any who would believe, which is uh, pointing to the Abrahamic covenant and the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, which is so important to us as we seek to be a church that cares about all and, and, and that recognizes that there is no one who is to be left out because of any sort of, any sort of demographic. And so he shares with all and, and that all might believe. And he says he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so he is, comes in a long lineage that, that God, uh, if you remember, since the very beginning, has made sure that there would be a witness in the world. And he's chosen people in the Old Testament to be prophet, priests, and kings. In the New Testament, to be prophets, apostles, and pastor teachers, and in both testaments, lest any of you think you are left out, that we would be a priesthood of all believers. Everyone who bears the image of God has the ability to bear witness. And remember, you're doing it. You're doing it whether you think you are or not. And we've talked about this before. Everybody that's around you has some opinion about you. And what are they basing that opinion on? Everybody around you that spends any sort of time with you, whether you work with them, they're your neighbor, they think something about you. And if they know you're a Christian, it automatically changes the lens, doesn't it? It makes it very interesting. And sometimes that can be good, and sometimes they're coming in with a truckload of baggage and you're going to be climbing uphill. But take heart, for Christ has overcome the darkness. His light shines. And so as you live that out, you will have the opportunity um, for those to see the light that is within you and, and, the, and your bearing of the image of Christ. So share the story, but share it because it has changed and affected you. And if for some reason you don't have joy in the gospel, if for some reason you don't have joy in the fact that Christ has overcome the darkness and has come, that's something you should be very active in engaging and dealing with and trying to work through. And it may not mean that you pray harder or read more, but that you grab people to come around you and have conversations and seek wise counsel and have people just love on you and care for you, which is what we are to do as the body of Christ with one another. So listen to what J.C. Ryle says about this particular passage. He says, this fact that the life was the light of men, that this sentence means that the life which was in Christ was intended before the fall to be the guide of man's soul to heaven, and the supply of man's heart and conscience, and that since the fall of man, it has been the salvation and the comfort of all who have been saved. Now, if you pay attention to that, he really didn't say anything different between the two things. They both have the same purpose, which is the light was to draw us to relationship with God through Christ. It's always been the case. So what are some ways that you have experienced the light of Christ shining through and now being, and not being overcome by the darkness. All of us have stories where we, we have endured either a dark night of the soul, and Christ spoke into that, or we have endured sickness, or we have endured joblessness, or we have endured parenting, or we have endured marriage, or we have endured relationships of any and every kind, familially. We all have experienced, in some measure, the, the coming in of the darkness. 
and how hard that can be. And yet, as many of you sit here knowing many of your stories, I also know that the light has come and pierced that same darkness. And it's pushed it back. And it has shown you that you are loved of God. And so, how can you share that with people around you? What are some ways in which that's worth sharing, particularly with your kids? I think sometimes as parents, we miss phenomenal opportunities because either we assume because the kids are around, they kind of get it and they're thinking about the same level we are, which is not true, um, or we think they can't handle it, which is also not true. Um, and, and so they need to hear our stories as well. They need to know uh, what we've been through. In fact, uh, my son uh, and daughter-in-law, knowing about what Susan and I went through when she had blighted ovum and we lost our third child, that was an incredibly important thing for them to know about and to be able to talk with us about in order to be able to survive their own circumstance of miscarriage. And so, so often I think we... We move on from certain things and we don't want to share uh, our past experiences or we don't feel like we share it right. All of that stuff just keeps us from actually doing what we were designed to do, which is display the glory of God. Each of us has that opportunity. And are we doing it? Are you, are you, are you doing that in some way, shape, or form? In fact, you don't have to go house to house. That's what I'm saying to you. You could leverage it right where you are and be able to share uh, the beauty and bear witness to the fact that Christ is our light who overcame the darkness. If you would turn back to the text, verses 9 through 13, and let us see that redemption is by faith alone and Christ alone, according to God's grace alone. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here, the light comes into the world and enlightens everyone. And what that means is not, that's not again, that's not talking about salvation. What that means is that every person in this world owes the, their life essentially to God. They did not, you did not, we did not decide to exist. You didn't give yourself life. You didn't bring yourself into this world. And so something did. There was some, whether it's for those of you who are full-on evolutionary and, and non-deistic, uh, some, some pillar of salt 60 million years ago determined you now, which is hard to do the math to get there, but okay. Or, or you were determined. You were, you were made. Someone knows every fiber of your being. And as the psalmist says, it is the Lord our God. And so you didn't determine it. So you come into the world. You, you were given that light and life as a gift. How will you honor it? How will you use it? I've even said to some who say, I don't believe any of that stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's... The, I get it, but if, if you're going to be an atheist or an agnostic, be a good one. Help common grace. You don't have to be a jerk, I promise. It's not required of you to be just obnoxious. It's not. And so, so we all owe a debt in some measure to the God who grants us life in the first place. And then it goes on from there and says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, which is a repetition to, again, drive down deep that Jesus is creator. 
That is very, very important. And it goes on to say, um, and, and the world did not know him. Now, this couple of verses here actually parallels beautifully Romans 1 through 3. Romans 1 is basically the discussion that the world, or Gentiles as it were, saw the light of natural revelation, which is creation, and they rejected it. They chose to make gods of their own fashioning and image. Think about how um, just even the Israelites do this. They quickly make a little bull to worship uh, as Moses is, is up on, the, on Mount Sinai. And so this is a known thing. We, we, the world just didn't know him. They, they chose to make their own gods. And so they reject the transcendent God who becomes imminent in Christ. And then it goes on to say, not only do they reject, but the very people who were chosen to disseminate this message in the world, the Israelites themselves, he came to his own and his own rejected him. Those who had the, 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 the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, those who had the law, those who had the prophecy, those who had all that pointed forward to Christ, they too rejected which, as Paul sums up, and, and, and he's essentially quoting the Psalms, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All are broken and in need. And so what John is doing in these verses very quickly is leveling the playing field. There is none of you, none of you, who doesn't owe a debt to the Lord our God for their life. You have been given breath in your lungs as a gift. And there is none of you who will choose that God for your own. And as Moses puts it when he's about to, to die because he cannot go into the promised land, he says, it's not that you have to ascend into heaven to try to get this or swim across some ocean to find it. It is in your heart and in your mouth. And the problem is not only that you can't, but you won't. You are in abject rebellion and you're broken beyond repair. You cannot save yourself. So John is making it very clear here that apart from Christ, there is no salvation to the Lord our God. And so he goes on to say, not only does his own reject him, but there is a way that's not just bad news. He says, but, but all who did receive him, notice that, receive him. All who did believe in him. Those are both uh, passive, receptive types of things. That is, so our responsibility is to, is basically to give up. You may for those of you who like to kind of really press the issue, well, to give up is work. Not real. I mean, I don't know if you've ever given up before. It's not. It's not a lot of work, actually. Uh, I've done it a lot, and uh, I've given up on lots of things, and it's so easy. I promise. Um, and 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 where we get tangled up, which which I find fascinating, is when we start trying to talk about divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Which, by the way. I am not about to solve for you in the next six minutes or so, so don't, don't put that crown of thorns upon me, but I do want to help you kind of think about it. Many of you have things that you know are not good for you, right? Every, everybody have one of those, something that's not good for you, whether it's this unhealthy love for chicken wings. Put 50 in front of me, 50 go home, uh, which is so, so bad. It's terrible. Uh, pizza, I just, if there's more in the box, like, I know it's good left over, and, and that's, but I got to eat it all right then. I just can't stop, won't stop, right? Uh, as the kids say. Uh, and so, so we all have things that are even more dangerous than that, don't we? And here's what's interesting about those things. Just, just think with me for a second. 
of the things that are really bad for you, whether that's porn or whether that's your pride or whether that's, uh, whether that's just an unhealthy kind of worry about politics or whether it's food or whether it's any, any of the things that we could pick. How many times do you have to talk yourself into doing it? You put 50 in front of me and there's no conversation. Really, I'm on it. I mean, there, I'm not talking myself. I, I really should eat these 50 wings. I, I really should. Come on now, you can do it. No, we just do it, right? So, so there's, there is the fall within us makes it very easy for us. We have abject free will when it comes to sin. We can just be as awful as we would like. However, when it comes to the good things, when it comes to um, if you have some like crazy food allergies and you're about to have to go on some like diet that's gonna it's probably gonna nearly kill you, Jenny. I'm sorry. Uh, and so uh, you you got to gear up. You've got to you've got to prepare. You've got to like uh, you you've got all kind of stuff has to happen. And not only that, to to even get it started, but to persevere in it takes Herculean effort. Now, that, that difference is worthy of our notation. To the things that are destructive to us, they are so easy. They're just like sliding down a slide. But to the things that are good, it is an uphill slog. And so here, here's the thing. We need help on the uphill. We don't need help on the downhill. Help as in doing it worse. We got that. But we do need help on the uphill. And this is something every single one of you know inherently. And so here is how gracious our God is. That he would provide everything necessary to ascend the hill. And in fact, he would destroy the hill so that you could stand with him in glory. And that your sin, that darkness which is swept over you, that is so easy, that comes in so quick, that you, you feel like even if you've, I mean, I was, I was an alcoholic and there are times in my life where, um, and, and haven't engaged in, in being drunk in years, where, and I remember this was in Macon, this hasn't really happened up here, but, but in Macon there was a bar right outside of my neighborhood. And there's times I'd be going home, and it's as if I'd gone to CJ's a thousand times, which, by the way, only went once, and I ate like 50 wings, and that kind of ruined it for me. And so, uh, so uh, and I didn't, I didn't drink, but it was just, I just felt like the car could just pull right in. I've been, I've dealt, I mean, that's been dealt with for years, over a decade. It feels like it just comes right back, doesn't it? So easy. I've been trying to get back into working out. <clears throat> I've downloaded an app. <laughs> it's called 8 Fit, I think. January looks good. January's looking good. Uh, so you see, we know, we, this is, we understand the, the, really, we do better than, we under, than, we, than we've given ourselves credit. We do understand the dichotomy and the need. So how good is our God that he says, I will make up all of that ground for you. I will give you everything you need to redeem you, to, to, to grant you all that you need to find joy and peace in this life and in the life to come. And so we are not born again by blood. It doesn't matter who your family is doesn't matter where you were born. We are not born by the will of the flesh. That means grandma's prayers. That means auntie's prayers. That means your prayers. That means anybody else's will. We're not born again of that. And we're not born again by our own Herculean effort. We're just not because we can't do it. We can't make it. But what we are born again by 
is the will of God. What a glorious thing that is. And I know for so many of you, you think, but, but what about those who are not? Right? Which is a great thing to be concerned with. But if this holds true, you're not going to redeem them by your will. You're not. And so the thing to do is share the story with them. If you love them and you care about them, share with them the joy and the peace that you have in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone. So that is what John is calling for us to do and for us to recognize. And as I said, this actually unpacks Romans 1 through 3 in such a beautiful way. And while it doesn't totally reconcile our understanding of human responsibility and divine sovereignty, it at least gives us, and in fact, I'm trying to think who I was talking to about this recently, uh, who was asking me about it. Um, may have been Tyler, was that us on Saturday we were talking about this? I hate to put you on the spot. You did great. Yeah, it's a good, right answer. Um, but sometimes I think we try to make it flat, right? It's not flat. It's so complex. God invites us into the story. That means we have some responsibility. God oversees the story and ensures that it, it will end the way he determined it would end because, because not because he's a, a puppeteer, but because Christ has already defeated the darkness. You understand? There's no battle truly anymore for eternity. The battle is for us to be able to walk in spirit and truth now so that we will enjoy our eternity even more. So listen to what Frederick Dale Bruner says about this passage. He says, believing says it all. It does it all. It receives all that is given, motivates all the issues from it, and is as simple and as concrete as the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who, like believing, needs no supplementation. Jesus did it all. Believing receives it all. This is the gospel according to John, solus Christus, sola fide, which, for those of you who think I just spoke in tongues, actually means Christ alone by faith alone. So what he's saying there is that there's no other way to salvation but to submit, to receive what Christ has done. There's no other Superman coming. There's no other greater Savior coming. The one has already come. He's already overcome the darkness. And that is what we celebrate each Advent season. I do want to make one comment. Uh, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to the house on Thursday. Um, and so it kind of highlighted for me, and it was kind of funny because they, obviously they, did, they didn't know I was a pastor uh, and probably thought midday on Thursday, guy home, he's, he's a ne'er-do-well. We were getting actually ready to leave for Knoxville. I was interviewing for the head coaching job at uh, Tennessee, like everybody else, apparently. <laughs> and, uh, and so so, uh, so I was talking with him, but it dawns on me that there's like, and I love my wife, and she does this. You need to come to our house. It looks like Christmas threw up everywhere at our house. And, and you know, I don't know if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, but they're not, like, they're not cool on Christmas at all. And so I'm standing there with the wreath and the trees, and, you know, they're, they're like, man, you're, you're in bad shape. So, uh, so we, get, we get to talking, and, of course, one of the moves she makes is and she says, um, hey, you know, the, the, the light is coming brighter and brighter and brighter into the world, just like the fact that we have learned that Christmas is a pagan holiday. Um, and I'm like, 
how do I defend this? I mean, but it's pretty. I mean, I don't know. And so, uh, so, so I just want to say this to you. For those of you who may be sitting there thinking, we all know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Yes, we know that. He probably wasn't. Probably sometime in the spring. Probably. We don't know for 100%, by the way. But, but, but anyway, why do we celebrate it when we do? Yes, there was a Saturnalia festival, and yes, trees and, and not lights, because electricity wasn't invented back then, but, but de- decoration, all that stuff, that was, that was part of pagan worship. Yes, that, that is true. Um, but there's evidence, and some of this just was actually posted recently. You can't believe everything you read on the interweb, but uh, this was actually a reputable source, that there was evidence that Christians celebrated festival-wise Christmas before Saturnalia. So it doesn't automatically arise out of that, number one. Number two, um, the church in history wanted to be able to celebrate regularly the birth and death of Christ, thus Christmas and Easter, and wanted to do that in some sort of sequence that made sense. We're not fools. I just want you to know that. We're not just being ridiculous. To the point of if you were to come to my house and want to, like, set fire to stuff and knock stuff down like you were flipping over tables, first of all, Susan's pretty tough. Uh, and I can't protect you from her always. But secondly, remember 1 Corinthians 10. This is not a one-to-one, but I think it's important. Um, Paul makes it very clear you can eat meat sacrificed to idols because those idols don't exist. And, it, and as far as the wreaths and stuff at our house, and I'm sure it's yours too, they don't celebrate Saturnalia or the Roman God of anything or any of those things. They are to point to the joy that is the coming of Christ. And so I just, and again, we, may not, we, could, we don't have to agree on all that, but I just wanted you to know if you're visiting with us or you're thinking, man, these guys are goofy. That may be true, but not necessarily because of that. Uh, we do have a reason for doing what we do. And church history has a reason for doing what it's done, and I would encourage you to kind of think more about that. I didn't hear any of that from y'all. I just, I don't know why the Jehovah's Witnesses sparked me. It, it ended funny. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but since I brought it up, when she said, you know, we can learn things. And I said, oh, well, maybe you guys will learn that Jesus is God. And she goes, no, we won't. I said, so I'm not getting a Christmas card from you guys? Is that is how this ends? Anyway, it actually ended fairly well, other, other than that. So here's the thing. What, 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 what's your story? What's your, what, what is your story of, of, of coming to receive and believe in Christ. We all have different stories in this regard, and, and no story is better. So it's not better if you have, like, some ridiculous, prodigal, filthy, foul story. That's, let me just tell you, as a ridiculous, filthy, foul prodigal once, it's not better. The scars I bear, the things I have to deal with year in and year out, it's not better. My wife, who's known Jesus the whole of her days, although not perfect, um, I would trade her. I wouldn't give her my burden, but I would definitely match hers. Um, because what a joy it would be to have known him. All those years I rejected him and hated him and was destroying the very image, destroying the very body he had gifted to me. And so we all have a story in which um, you didn't choose to, to bring things into into being the sovereignty of God made it such that you were surrounded with what you were surrounded by so that you would hear that message. And he's inviting you into that story. And so he is ultimately the one who's responsible. And he is good. And he continues to be good. And so how do we participate in 
the thing that he's inviting us into, which is to share in this story, to use the gifts and abilities that we've been given to honor and glorify him and to help bring joy, the light of life to, to, to future sons and daughters and present sons and daughters. So what do we learn from this text? Well, John 1, 4 through 13 teaches us that Jesus is the true redeeming light that has defeated the darkness. That is such great news. Remember that always. You need to remind yourself of that. You need to remind each other of that as you find yourself in difficult and broken and hard circumstances. And you can't do it cheaply, by the way. It doesn't, you slapping it on there like a bumper sticker doesn't just make it go away. Sometimes you, you've got to abide as evidence of the light penetrating the darkness and maybe not even say very much at all. And there are other times where you should give scripture to encourage and lift up and you should pray to encourage and lift up and be prayed for to be encouraged and lifted up because Jesus is the true redeeming light that has defeated the darkness. And then secondly, Jesus is sent by God to make us his sons and daughters by faith alone according to his sovereign will or grace alone. That's where that comes from. By faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. So John 20, 30, and 31 tells us the whole point of the book of John for which this prologue is pointing. He says, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So there's a whole bunch of stuff Jesus did that's non-canonical. But these, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? And what a joy that we get to, on this day, celebrate the life of the light of men and women, uh, all humanity, the sons and daughters of God, in the table, that we would get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm going to transition not so gracefully, I'm sure. That wasn't too bad. So what a gift that we get to see the word displayed, made visible um, in the broken bread and in the poured cup that we would get to be nourished in our faith by what, what Christ leaves in the world to continue to remind us of who and whose we are, that this story matters, that this table, these meager elements say the darkness has been overcome. The elders would come forward uh, and uh, go ahead and take their places. Remember what it was that Jesus said to the disciples on the night before he was crucified. Uh, they were having a meal together, which is such a beautiful thing, uh, which is why I love the, uh, that's why I probably talk about food often. Uh, long for the day when it will be redeemed and not fight back against me. Uh, but he grabbed some bread and he said to the disciples, he said, this this, this is representative, this signifies the seals. This is my body broken for you. And what he meant in saying that to them is he says that the darkness has been overcome. The darkness outside of you, the darkness within you, the darkness of the fear of the wrath of God is satiated. You no longer have to walk in any form of darkness. Fear or guilt or shame or worry about the wrath of God. What a gift to us. Now, the reality is, though, because we still live sinners, not yet completely glorified as saints, the darkness creeps in on us, doesn't it? So for you this morning, if you're here and you're struggling with those things, 
and you recognize that Jesus alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone, is what redeems you, you must take. But if you're here this morning and you don't trust Christ as Savior, you think there's either a better way or that you're a better way, you can't take. This would be a curse to you. So if you don't believe, don't, don't take. Let it pass by. If you're here this morning and you harbor unforgiveness towards someone, meaning that you would just as soon they burn in hell, that you would not sit at the table with them in the new heavens, new earth, you can't take either because that is contra the beauty of this table. That's contra the will of God. That's you declaring in your will that someone cannot be born again. John's already told us this morning, we don't have that power. You also shouldn't take, and I don't know of any of you in this category, if you're visiting with us this morning, and for some reason you are under church discipline at your church, you should let the elements pass you by as well. But for everybody else, everybody else that's stumbling through life, that is, that is stumbling through Advent, that forgot to order stuff when they were supposed to and it's coming in late because Amazon's two-day thing is a lie, uh, <laughs> you need the table. You need its elements. You need to be sustained and nourished in your faith. So when you receive the bread, if you would hold it, and we'll all take together as family, but as you are either about to receive it or when you have it, meditate and pray. Give thanks for the fact that the light has overcome the darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you that the darkness that was so real and so powerful and so destructive that it could not have the final say, that it was no match for the light of Christ, that it was no match for your love for us, that it was no match for your glory. May we walk in the newness of that. May we walk in the glorious redemption that has come through the broken body of Christ and all that it has paid for. Help us to be a people who walk in such joy and peace that others will want to know our story, that when we share our story, we have something of substance to share. In Christ's name, amen.